Well, we are back in our series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And this morning we're going to talk about the spirit of freedom. Where the source of our freedom comes. What does freedom mean? And what does it mean to us who are in Christ? Um, But before we begin looking at the text, I want to begin by talking about a man who in a sense is sort of an Old Testament hero who was definitely bold and courageous. And his name is Joshua. He faced the daunting challenge of leading Israel into the future. He was called to lead his people into the promised land where they would have to cross a swollen river, face giants, deal with trouble in the camp, and fight against armies that had far superior numbers. That's when Joshua needed a word from the Lord. And then the Lord made this incredible promise. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed. Overwhelmed, if you would. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I clung to these promises this week. The promise of God's promise, presence, was all Joshua needed. All he needed to hear before he led his people. This would be the basis for he and his people being bold and courageous. You see, if God was with them, why would they fear the future? I asked that question myself. So for a few moments, I'm going to be daring to be bold with you. Now, my boldness doesn't come from self-confidence, but believing that the Lord is calling our church to be bold and face the giants that are in the land. And I'm going to be very honest with you. For the last few months, we have weathered a perfect storm. This week, the tail of the tornado seemed to land or hover over my office here in the church. The death of our dear friend, Pastor Bill, hit me hard. You see, he is the last of my foxhole veteran friends who have battled for the gospel as a pastor. I love going to speak with him. And now, I'm the old guy. I would assume most of you know or have heard that Trevor had surgery and they discovered that he has a grade three, as I'm told, cancer 
And that weighed heavy on me this week. It's just sort of like, Lord, is there more? All at basically one time. So this week when I came to church, that was on Thursday, went to my office, and there's nobody here. The last remaining guy. And I felt I was wearing and bearing the weight of everything, and I felt terribly alone. I have no mask on this morning. But before you, I stand. I have no intention of conceding defeat. Nor should you. We cannot surrender to the forces of darkness who have swept over us like an ominous black cloud. And this is going to be a test. This is going to be a test of our faith and our love for one another. And we cannot give in to discouragement, despair, or division. God had a purpose in planting this church, and I believe that purpose still remains. We cannot give up on each other or on the church. Rather, like the admonition of the Apostle Paul, we need to forget what lies behind us and strain forward to what lies ahead. Therefore, we must press on. So I'm appealing to you, my brothers and sisters who are here this morning, to ask if you're willing to stand with me, the elders, and many others, as we forge together by faith. For those of you who say, I have no more fight left in me, I only ask you pray for those of us who do. Because now is the time to be bold and courageous. The Lord has promised us as he did Joshua. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous Do not be frightened and don't be overwhelmed or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen? Now let's pick up where we left off last week. To learn more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And we discover today that it is the Spirit... The Holy Spirit who sets us free. And we'll talk what that means. The Spirit sets us free to be bold. That's the incredible hope of our our dear friend, the Apostle Paul. He says in verse... 312, since we have such a great overwhelming hope, we are very bold. 
Notice the optimism, the faith of this man. It just staggers me. Anything I've gone through in my whole life, put them all together, was nothing like what this man was going through. And yet, notice, since we have such hope, we are very bold. And he was known by boldness. So the Spirit sets us free to be bold. That's how he begins. Boldness, therefore, flows out of our hope. In other words, where there's hope, boldness should come. And it will come by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit gives us hope that we can live beyond our own limited, hoarded human resources in the most difficult of situations. We find Paul's unrelenting optimism stated earlier in 2 Corinthians 14, 17. We talked about it before. He said, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us, always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. My friends, that's hope, that's boldness when you understand what he was going through. In and out of one prison, shipwrecked, nights without sleep, facing incredible rejection, accused of incredible things. And yet he says, because we have such hope, we're bold. Where there is hope, there should be boldness to press on in ministry. Where there is pessimism and uncertainty, there will be hesitancy and fear. Paul described the reason for his boldness. First, he was bold because he had this unquenchable gratitude. Overwhelmed with gratitude. For all that God had done through his many tests and trials in serving Christ. That is why he said, but thanks be to God. Second, he also had an unshakable enthusiasm, optimism. Because the Lord had always, and he sort of emphasizes that, who always led him triumphantly through his darkest days. Even his imprisonment, God used for good. Third, his... Enthusiasm left an unparalleled impact on others wherever he went. He changed the world through the preaching of the gospel, but his enthusiasm for the gospel. People were overwhelmed. How can this guy be so hopeful when all he's going through? He's hopeful because his hope is in Christ. Not himself, not his circumstances. And because of that, he had an unquestionable testimony. Because people saw how his faith was consistent with his words. What he preached, he lived. And when you come around people like that, that's the people you want to be around. And he did preach. He may have not been the greatest preacher that ever lived. 
but he certainly was a great, great preacher. He preached boldly by the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't try clever marketing techniques to attract an audience or preach to tickle the ears of finicky religious consumers. Instead, he sincerely and boldly preached as if Christ was his audience. And I've thought about that this week as well. You are my audience, but Christ is here, and I'm most desirous to please him. How refreshing it would have been to have been around a man like Paul. (laughs) And I can't tell you how much I would have enjoyed talking with him this week. But, unfortunately, I could read his letter and letters to discover how to be bold and persevere when faced with discouragement. The reason the Spirit gives us boldness is for God's glory. When we have faith, hope, and boldness in adversity, that glorifies God. And here's why the Spirit makes us bold. He makes us bold so we can go through trials without losing hope. That's what he tells us in Ephesians 3. In Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Which is your glory. That's from the mouth of this great apostle. Notice his concern to the church. Don't lose heart. Don't give in to discouragement. Don't give in. To what appears to be overwhelming. Second, the Spirit makes us bold so we can draw near to Christ in prayer. Let us then with confidence in Hebrews 4.16. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. Confidence, boldness to come to the Lord in prayer. The Spirit also makes us bold so we don't give in to debilitating fear. Paul explained his boldness in 2 Timothy 1.7. God gave us a spirit. What spirit? Holy Spirit. Gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's the hope. That's the promise. That's where our confidence comes from. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes to the Corinthians to encourage them to put their confidence in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and not on themselves or not in the circumstances around them. When I read about Paul's life and testimony, I'm determined to press on. Next, Paul contrasts the hope he had in the ministry of the Holy Spirit that made him bold. 
But he contrasts this hope with the insecurities of Moses that he had in ministering the law that made him want to hide his face. Here we have these verses. Let's look at that together. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now the contrast. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, wherever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I'd like to explain that to you to see how relevant that is to us. The Holy Spirit sets us free, liberates us to be real, genuine, authentic. Being real means unpretentious, transparent, sincere, and honest. It means not having anything to prove, nothing to hide, and nothing left unforgiven. And those entrenched in the law are prone to spiritual pride and false confidence. Because this law has no power to transform us. They tend to speak, those in the law, as if they were writing an Old Testament or a New Testament book in King James. They speak King James. A lot of these thou's and you, you know what I'm talking about. And they offer pious platitudes to those who are going through tough times. They're not real. They're not sympathetic. They're just rolling out religious jargon. And that's why Paul used this idea, this illustration of the veil that Moses had to illustrate the difference between being real and being pretentious. Paul compares the law to a veil that hides its fading glory and our insecurities. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord, he beheld the Lord's glory. How incredible would that be? And the Lord wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of clay and then gave them to Moses. And when he returned with these tablets back to the camp of Israel, he had a, if you would, an afterglow having been in the presence of the Lord. And the people shied away from him in fear, but also in revering him. So Moses decided to wear a veil. A veil over his face so as not to scare or to frighten his people. But when he took off the veil, I assume at night, he looked in the mirror and there was no glow. It had faded. 
But enjoying the accolades and the, how would I say, the, the support perhaps of the people, he put the veil back on, even though there was no more glory on his face. That's what Paul's referring to. You see, the law, Ten Commandments, have a glory, but in trying to keep him, the glory fades so fast because of our inability to keep the law in ourselves. Like Moses, he said, Israel hid behind the law like a veil, even though they knew that the glory that the law can give, it faded quickly. Israel's heart became hardened, calloused, if you would, claiming to have the glory of the law because they were trained to keep it. But they knew that glory faded very quickly. And that's the problem with the law. And those who try to wear a mask of spirituality. Paul tells us this veil still remains over Israel's eyes, and may I add, over many others. So that when the old covenant is read, they prefer to wear the veil rather than to admit their failure to keep the law. They fail to admit their need for Christ. Sadly, masks can be uh, more comfortable to wear than being real. These religious masks keep people from seeing the true glory of Christ. Which it never fails. When I was in middle school, there was a designated day near Halloween for what they called dress-up day. Everyone wore some kind of a costume or mask. And I hadn't planned ahead, which was typical of a, a boy my age. So that that morning, I didn't have anything cool to wear. But my mom had a solution. She was going to help me out. She gave me an old black wig, a rubber mask of a woman, a hat, a purse, and one of her old print dresses. I said, no way, mom. I'm not wearing that to school. But she insisted, oh, honey, you look so cute. <laughs> I said, well, I don't have anything. She said, try this on. Just see what you think about it. And as I got that, I looked in the mirror. I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> but didn't have anything else. And she was so insistent. Oh, yeah, the kids will think it's great. You look awesome. So cute. I gave in. So as I walk to school, wearing my mask and my high heels, <laughs> there were people walking right by me and they'd go, look at, look at her, look at, look at that, look at him. They didn't know who it was. And at first I kind of thought, you know, that's kind of, kind of, kind of good. They don't know who I am, but I'm still kind of uh, in the day and But when I got to school, I went into the classroom and I took off my mask. That was my mistake. Everyone started laughing 
and mocking me. And some of my friends who I played football with, they couldn't believe what I had done. And I couldn't either. That's when I realized my vulnerability. Where was my mom when I needed her? So, guess what I did? For the rest of the day, as I walked around the campus, I decided to keep wearing the mask so that people wouldn't recognize me in my ridiculous outfit. You see, the mask became my way of hiding. That is, hiding the glow of my blushing face. And that's what Paul was talking about. Some people hide behind their masks of shame to appear like everything is good, while inside they're dying. With guilt, insecurity, overwhelming problems, and they're dying of pride. As a pastor, I've heard a lot of excuses why people don't go to church. This is probably the most frequent I've heard over about 45 years. Here's what they say. Pastor, I don't feel comfortable coming to church because when I come in and I sit down, they all look like they have their act together. I know I don't. So I feel uncomfortable being around these people who look so good. Well, if you're one of these people, let me personally assure you of something. First, I don't have my act all together. And neither do most of the other pew packers sitting next to you. (laughs) Instead, we're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace alone, trying to figure out what it means to live by faith alone in Christ alone for his glory alone. If you're looking for perfect people in a perfect church, well, you're not going to find it. And someday we will get it right. But that won't come until we see Christ. So please, Be patient with each other. Until that day, we need hope to make us bold. Paul says that the Spirit lifts the veil to behold Christ's unfading glory. You see, it's the veil of our own self-righteousness that we try to hide behind. And you only can take that off when you feel safe. And you will feel safe when you look into the face and the eyes of Christ. It's the Spirit who makes us bold enough to risk removing our mask and learn to accept our imperfections and inadequacies and to accept what it means to be saved by grace, not by works. Paul is saying, don't hide behind the veil of good works of the law, but rather look to Christ. And the righteousness that he has given to us. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you want to be righteous? 
Doctrinally speaking, if you are in Christ, you're never going to get any more righteousness than you have now. It's all of his righteousness is put on your account. You can't beat that. Wouldn't that give us confidence to know that we're fully, completely acceptable to God, where there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ? You see, this is our new and our lasting identity. The Spirit gives us freedom. Freedom from condemnation, self-condemnation. Sets us free from the power of sin and the fear of death. He exhorts Christians in Galatians 5.1 to stand firm in their faith. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. How sad that someone who has been set free from slavery would return to wear the shackles of the law. Return to the shackles of sin. Trying to gain a sense of worth. Paul also tells us in Galatians 5.13, don't let freedom, the sense that you're no longer condemnable, become license to sin. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's freedom. Free to serve. Free to love each other. Our freedom in Christ is not license or an excuse to just keep on sinning while we're wearing our religious mask to church. Rather, in 1 Peter 2, 16, we're told we do have a motivation to love and serve. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up, a mask, for evil. But living as servants of God. Our master is whoever we serve. Ourself, our job, our appearance, our possessions, our public persona, our addictions... Our love hunger or our love for Jesus Christ. Everybody has to serve somebody. And some of our masters are cruel taskmasters. But Christ has come to set us free so we can find our joy in serving him. In Christ we can learn to be content With all our true self. And not live with pretense or masks. And finally. Paul closes this section. With the hope. Of being transformed. God loves us the way we are now. But too much to leave you the way he found you. 
God put a construction sign on my life in each of yours. You need a hard hat to move into this construction zone. And he's working on each of us. He's committed to that. He says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. My friends, that's hope. That we are in process. The church is in process. All of us are in process. Sometimes that process is slow. Sometimes it seems to stop, but it doesn't. And sometimes we give up on others who have didn't look like they're being transformed. You see, the Spirit liberates us so that we're now being transformed. Where the Spirit is, you will find freedom. That's why I have loved being here. I have watched, looked, observed, partaken of fellowship with you folks. I've seen many of you with unveiled faces, with tears, as well as smiles. Where the Spirit is at work, there you will find freedom and safety to be yourself. Not having to pretend to be somebody else. Our boldness comes from the hope that the Spirit is transforming us into the image of Christ one degree at a time, one day at a time. The, the Bible makes this incredible promise about the Holy Spirit. Book of Philippians chapter 1. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day that we see Christ, until Christ returns. That's when this transformation turns into glorification. The Spirit will never, ever give up on any of us, even when we feel like giving up. That's almost like a one-sided commitment. Where my commitment lacks, he doesn't. He's bulldogged. He's determined to complete that work that he began. He's committed to our ultimate glorification, no matter how long it may take. Paul also exhorts us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we are not being transformed by the Spirit, guess what? We are being conformed to the values of this world. It's just what's happening. Are you being transformed or conformed? That's why the more we see the glory of Christ in the scriptures, the more we will be transformed to become more like him. Now I've seen a unique glow on the face of a number of believers over the years 
especially those who have known Christ for a long time. I've gone to talk with Pastor Bill. We inevitably discussed biblical doctrine. If you didn't know, he's a predestinarian, sovereigntist. We had great conversations. But when we talked about Christ, guess what? He had this wonderful, calm smile come across him. Unmistakable. He has seen the glory of Christ through the scriptures. Now that smile and that glow are now fixed on his face forever. And I look forward to seeing that smile again. As well as the smile of my beloved ones who have preceded me. And the smile on our Savior's face when he welcomes us home. That's all the motivation we have and need to persevere. To move on. Won't that day be glorious? We will be content to keep wearing masks to cover up our fading glory until we look into the face of Christ and we behold his unfading glory and the glory that he has given us. As we come to the table this morning, you're going to take the bread and the cup and you know what you're going to look at? The face of Christ in the bread and the cup. My pastor friend who's part of our staff, when he took the bread and the cup, he did some strange things and I go afterwards I go, what are you doing? And he would take the bread and he would look at it like this. And he would look at the little holes in the bread we had. Crackers. Like that. And then he took the cup with the juice and he would go. <laughs> I, I, so afterwards they what are you doing? I, I'm, I, I don't want to interfere with your, your worship time, but why do you do this? His answer was, because I'm looking at the blood of Christ. I want that to be in my mind. And when I look at the bread, I'm thinking of his broken body for me. Now this morning, I'm not asking you, matter of fact, I don't do this. I'm not asking you to take the cup and put it up your eyeball or whatever you might do. If that helps you, please feel free. You're free to do that. The spirit sets you free. (laughs) But the point is, when you take the bread and the cup, This is a symbol of the body of Christ for us. We're reminded of his glory that was revealed on the cross. It was his joy to offer up his life as a sacrifice for our sins. That's why 
we talk about the cross being his glory. So let us come with boldness and gratitude, overwhelming gratitude, knowing we do not come in our own merit, but in the merit of Christ. Let's prepare our hearts and minds to take of the bread and the cup. As we prepare, listen to these words. They're taken from 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. The hope, the promise, and the warning. All those who have placed their faith in Christ alone, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, you're invited to come to the Lord's table and take of the bread and the cup. But before you come, examine your life. Examine yourself. Take off the mask. Take off the mask to see if you are at first in Christ. Confess your sin in prayer and then accept God's amazing grace. If you are in Christ, confess your sins. Claim grace. Claim by faith the assurance of God's grace. If you have not confessed Jesus as your Lord, you're urged to not take the Lord's Supper by the direction of the Apostle. Better yet, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And then you could just join right in on this incredible family meal we're going to have. Then you and everyone else are invited to come to the table by using the center aisle and then departing either out the left or the right and returning back to your place. Take the bread and the cup and then return to your seat. We will wait until all have been served before we take the bread and the cup together. If you are unable to come to the table or prefer not to come, please just raise your hand and there are those who are prepared to bring the supper to you. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come to you very boldly. We come to you boldly now, not in our self-righteousness, 
not in our anything coming from us, but we come boldly to your throne as you exhorted us in the righteousness of your Son that you have given to us. Where our hearts are filled with gratitude, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your Spirit that sets us free from self-condemnation, sets us free from uh, sin and death. That curse has been removed, even though death is still our enemy and we battle against sin every day. Father, I pray for the church and everyone who's here this morning. May there be an overwhelming sense of your presence in the bread and the cup. May we sense the presence of your Holy Spirit who fills your people to know that we are your people, to know that we have reason for hope. Father, fill us with boldness to face the future. We can't do it on our own, but we can if you are present. We can if you lead us and guide us and empower us. We ask for that. Father, as we take the bread and cup, May we consider what this means. We look at the cup, we look at the bread, and we see the face of your son. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. Thanks for this remembrance. May we remember you now in a very unique and personal way. Amen.